0: Hey, good morning. Everybody come in, get a seat. Hey, let's give a shout out to all the dads who are here. Happy Father's Day. So grateful for you dads who are here, and uh, just trying to walk with the Lord and, and just honor him in that. So I uh, just want to say thank you for that. Hey, uh, tomorrow's a really special day. It's my birthday. which means nothing, but they finally made it a national holiday. Uh, no, I want to just take a minute and, and just kind of acknowledge this this new holiday we have, Juneteenth, because I grew up uh, primarily in uh, for a few years in North Louisiana and the rest of the time in South Arkansas. And I grew up in a racially divided culture. Um, and uh, I'm just grateful as a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm just grateful that... A couple of things. First of all, you remember we just recently went through a study on the image of God? I'm grateful that, that we are acknowledging that all people are created in the image of God. Because that's important to us as followers of Jesus, as those who, who read the scriptures and try to live them out. And then secondly, I'm grateful for living out the truth of the gospel that in Jesus Christ there is neither slave nor free. And so that's why I think this this, this holiday is, is really important for us as believers to just embrace and to celebrate. So I just wanted to say that. Hey, I've got some friends here that you guys know, Bobby and Beth Stottle. I'd say you know them. Some of you probably know them pretty well. Uh, Bobby and Beth uh, live and work in Southeast Asia. And they uh, flew all the way, halfway around the world, just to be with us this morning. Actually, there's a few other reasons they came, but we are glad that they're here. Uh, So I wanted to just give it time for them to share with you a little bit about who they are, what they do. So let's start with, some of these people don't know you guys, so if you'll just tell us a little bit about Bobby, Beth, your family.
1: Yeah. Uh, So um, we've been married about 24 years now. Uh, Been a part of fellowship for most of that. And we have three girls. So when we moved over, they were preteen and teenagers. Um, So now uh, two of them are living here. Devaney um, is 21 and Caden is 19 at JBU and U of A, respectively. Um, And then we have our youngest, Annalise, is going to be a senior in high school this year. So um, that's a little bit about us.
0: Okay. Okay. So when I met you guys, Bobby, you were a basketball coach at Bentonville. And Beth, you were working at Fellowship. So tell us, how in the world does a couple like you get from Bentonville, Arkansas, to literally the other side of the world in Southeast Asia?
2: Yeah. Um, As Beth said, we've been here for about 20 years, uh, and it's been a privilege to be a part of this family of believers. And we're just like you all. We're just trying to figure out how to be obedient disciples in our families, in our work, and even in our community. And over a period of time, learning from God's Word in small groups Our eyes were open to the love that he has for people in all places and from all nations. And we we were excited to know that we got a role to play in that, to be able to be a part of drawing people with him into uh, fellowship with him. And so we decided over a period of four years to start making some big changes in our lives in order to be available for him. Uh, We started to um, go overseas with small groups and see what it's like over there. We were uh, we started to simplify our lives, started getting rid of some things that we didn't need, and just to say yes, we're available. And then about six years ago, uh, 2017, we launched in Southeast Asia, and we're part of another uh, team with another fellowship family there.
0: Okay, so tell us a little bit about where you live, kind of kind of the the culture or the, or the 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 atmosphere that you guys are living and working in, and what God's doing there, and how you're joining Him in that.
2: Yeah, so we live in a nation with the highest percentage of Muslims. It's a large nation, um, made up of thousands of islands, and there's a diversity of language and culture. For example, our island we live on is about the size of Tennessee, has 145 million people, and uh, speaks about eight languages. And so we feel like our best role is just to be great disciples. What does it look like for us to live that out daily and to be reproducible? And, and then we wanna come alongside other people who have the same vision, to see God glorified um, to be sitting in his throne room at the end of, of time. And so we, w- we come alongside those guys. We coach them in simple, reproducible ways to be disciples. We want to help them by serving alongside, resourcing them, and then we help them form teams to be sent to some of the harder reaches of places or hardest reached places in our, our nation.
0: Okay So we want to we love you guys and support you well. Uh, so, just would you share with us three things we could be praying for today, uh, for you guys? Yeah,
1: we'd love for you to join us in praying um, for believers. Um, Colossians one nine comes to mind. Um, pray for the lost. Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty, and to pray for um, what we would call a movement of people coming to Christ. So, disciples who make disciples who make disciples keeps going.
0: So. Okay. So you guys, would you be praying for that uh, today? We'll pray in just a minute. I just wanted to mention that after services, they'll be out in the booth over here uh, to the left, and uh, they'd love to visit with you more and tell you more about what God's doing over there. So let's pray together, okay? Lord, we are so grateful for the, the gospel of grace that captured our hearts, that redeemed our lives, and that gives us hope and joy both now and in the future. Lord, may we be so overwhelmed by that that we just want everybody to hear about it, whether it's our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers, or people who are all around the globe. Thank you for Bobby and Beth and their family, their faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we just are so grateful that we get to partner with them and that, uh, that we have. Fellowship Benville has a presence uh, in Southeast Asia because of them, and we're so grateful for that. Lord, would you bless them We pray for the believers where they are. Lord, so many of these people came from just absolutely no knowledge of Christianity, no no exposure to Christianity, and they came to faith in you and they're just trying to walk with you. So Lord, would you give them wisdom? Would you teach them about you and your word? Lord, would you give them discernment to be able to uh, discern the lies when they hear them? Lord, we pray for the people that uh, that they're working with who don't know you yet. Lord, would you reveal yourself in whatever way you choose to them that they'll be just drawn to you. And Lord, would you bring believers to them to share the gospel with them. And would you bless the, the efforts of Bobby and Beth and their team as they try to, to train and raise up those, those believers who will go to the lost. And Lord, may there be a great movement of generations upon generations of disciples who make disciples. And I pray that that entire nation will see a wave of the gospel sweep across it and there'll be a great harvest to your glory. We look forward to the day that we read about in Revelation where all around the throne, every tribe and tongue and nation and people group, every language will be lifted up in praise and honor of our Lord and Savior. It's to that end that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our spiritual rhythm series, and we're going to be focusing on the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to worship the Lord simply and together in community. And so I want us to look at Jeremiah twenty-nine, thirteen. the simple truth prophet writes, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's do that this morning and I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. You can bow your heads or you can look up or just a posture of prayer and say this, Lord, here I am. Lord, you are here. We believe that. pray it again Lord here I am you are here Lord as we worship you in this place would you be glorified we sing together
4: when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's worth, that will bless your Much deeper within Through the way things appear It's all about...
3: a moment just to reflect on Psalm 27 before we sing it together. Just a moment to rest in his word. So make this prayer of David your prayer this morning. That you would dwell in the presence of the one true God. Gaze upon his beauty. is good. I your word, that we would find rest within your presence. God, that you would grow within us a desire to know you more, to experience your goodness. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, we pray, amen.
5: Amen. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today, if you want to go ahead and open up uh, your Bibles there. We are in week four of our Spiritual Rhythms Summer Series. My name's Hunter. I work on the community team uh, here. And I just want to remind us as we start that the whole point of this, this summer is about us growing in spiritual formation. And the definition that we've used is it's the Spirit of God forming the people of God more and more into the Son of God's likeness. And so that's a real God doing real work in real people. And so we want to try to share a couple of real stories, which is why Noah is standing here next to me. So uh, this is my friend Noah. He and his wife, uh, Ann Elizabeth, uh, serve in different ways and also lead a community group. She is not here because she is asleep. She is not lazy. She works the night shift as a nurse, so um, she couldn't be with us this morning. But I heard Noah and Anna Elizabeth share a story a couple of weeks ago at a leader gathering that we had about fasting and uh, how they did that as a community group. So I thought it would be great for you to share that with everyone.
6: Thanks, Hunter. Thank you for framing that so well. Um, Yeah, so Anne Elizabeth and I, we lead a young marrieds community group. And uh, a couple of months ago, we were facing a group decision. And whenever we initially brought it up with our group, um, we weren't necessarily all on the same page about the decision. And um, instead of trying to hash it out right then and there, we decided... Let's take a break from the topic, and um, let's take the next week to pray. And then on the day when we get together, next for community group, let's spend that day fasting. Um, and then when we come together, we'll break the fast and, and pick it back up. And so, you know, we faithfully did that, and uh, it was a really, really good experience for our group. Um, in particular, when we got together and we broke the fast, just the conversations that we were able to have with one another just about, you know, what was hard in the day or what were we hearing from the Lord um, throughout the day as we were fasting? We were really, really encouraging uh, to us. And probably my favorite part was I've never seen so many young married men so excited about a Walmart baguette. Mm. Um, Yummy. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> but um, anyways, we had a couple of takeaways from the experience. Uh, one was um, in Jesus in John chapter 17 when he's praying to the Father. About future believers, he says, "Father, would they be one, even as you and I are one?" And I believe that fasting is a way for us as a community to step into that oneness, to step into unity. Um, and so that was a practical way for us to do that together. Another takeaway was that it was a fairly novel experience for most of us, and um, we would just use it as a learning opportunity. And um, and so. It was, it was really good, and now we have it in our belt um, as a community group for whenever we want to pick it up and do it again as a group.
5: I love it. Well, it encouraged me so much that in our discussion last week in our community group, we lead a bunch of young adult singles and are processing through multiplication, making more room for young adults, and so... Um, as a group, they decided, hey, let's let's fast together next Sunday. So many of them are doing that today, and we'll get to break fast uh, this evening. So thanks for your encouragement and for leading well in that for you and Anna Elizabeth. But thanks, yeah, I want to encourage all of us as we continue to just go through this summer that it's never too late to give one of these a shot and implement it in as a rhythm. And so just because fasting was a week ago doesn't mean that we can't try it. And so we'll try to continue to share more stories uh, as we go. But A quick review from last week, Mark had this slide up as he was teaching through fasting and kind of breaks the different spiritual rhythms down that we're covering into two categories, those that help us unplug and clear space and then those that help us engage kind of fill that space. The 2023 way of saying that would be disconnecting to connect, right? And so we want to to create space and uh, to be able to engage it and fill that as well. Well, two things happened as Mark was uh, talking about uh, fasting. And uh, he had this slide up. And it was, what, what does fasting do? I was looking at this. And first thing that happened is my wife, Alex, leaned over to me and was like, Those squigglies look a lot like bacon. And so I'm like, We're talking about fasting, babe. Come on. Not, not today. But the second thing I noticed was, as Mark was going through these, and I knew I was teaching simplicity this week. I started to realize, yes, this is what fasting does, but it also is what simplicity does. And maybe you could put all of those unplug rhythms in here of it's the things that help us acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, reveal our false dependencies, creating space for us to hear God and show himself. And so the difference between fasting and simplicity might be that fasting would be a more short-term example of this where we say for a season, for a day, for a meal, whatever it may be, I'm going to remove these things so that I can hear the Lord more clearly. Simplicity would be a more permanent removal to say, I need to get these things out of my life in order to live a more simplistic lifestyle. So that's kind of where we're headed today. we got to define simplicity. When you think about what simplicity is, uh, what's a visual that comes to your mind? Uh, this is the one for me, the classic Steve Jobs outfit. If you don't know, he wore this basically the same outfit Every single day for years, right? It's the black turtleneck, the Levi's, and then the the dad new balances. So all the dads out here for Father's Day that have those on, I love it. I will be there soon. But as I was looking at this, um, you may have noticed something about me. I tend to wear the same clothes. I have two shirts that I preach in. This is one of them. Uh, One day you'll see the other one. And uh, outside of preaching, I also tend to wear black T-shirts all the time. Why is that? Steve Jobs said it's because it's one less decision to make in the day. I don't know if that's my reason. I actually think I get a lot of my simplicity from this guy, my father. Uh, this, is, this is Jeff. Uh, he's in the back. I did not tell him I was doing this. But I love, 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 love my father. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, one of the things, or two of the things that I tell people when I share my story, my dad and my mom always come up. And the two things I say about my dad... I learned gentleness and generosity Uh, my dad Jeff is one of those guys that when you talk to him interact with him you see the gentleness of the spirit just overflowing in everything that he does and then I watched he and my mom be crazy generous growing up behind the scenes that most people didn't see and they would let me and my sister in on that Um, and it just grew my heart for those things and emulating those things as a follower of Jesus but one of the other things that describes my dad is simplicity, okay? He's wearing some black Nike shorts in this picture. Uh, He owns, I think, like 10 to 12 pairs of those same shorts. There's a whole drawer uh, full of them, just those shorts. And uh, also, if you'll notice, this is a picture of my dad going into the airport. His motto is, why purchase a carry-on when Walmart gives them to you for free, right? Just, why waste the money? It doesn't make a lot of sense. I would describe my dad as a simple man, now, you might go, well, that's mean. Why is simple negative? Right? I mean it in the best sense of the word, but I think simple and basic have become negative words. Why? We live in a very complex society that's always moving and moving very fast. So anything simple or basic can sometimes feel like it's getting left behind. The more steps, though, there are in a process, the more complex something is, the less likely we are as humans to complete it or even begin it. So there's something about simplicity that we love. In fact, the more options there are to choose something, the less likely we are even to make a choice. That's called choice anxiety. You've probably experienced it if you ever tried to pick a restaurant in Northwest Arkansas. There's just so many. There's something beautiful about simplicity that at our heart level, we absolutely crave. So let's talk biblical simplicity. I love you, Dad. Here's my attempt to to, uh, give you a definition. Weirdly enough, simplicity might be the most complex rhythm to try to define. Uh, We don't have a lot of definitions laid out in different books or even in scripture. So here's my attempt, and I gave you two because I couldn't pick one. Ordering our hearts and lives to experience God more clearly, or a life that seeks to eliminate what clutters our focus on God. This is one of the rhythms that's more observed in Jesus uh, than it is actually taught by him. We see some teachings on different aspects of simplicity, finances, materialism, and those types of things, but uh, we really observe that Jesus lived a simple life, one that cleared clutter so that he could hear from his Father. But a simple life gets pegged as a boring life. But true simplicity is not boring, nor is it correlated with a lack of effort. Part of me was like, well, I'm teaching on simplicity. Why not do the simple thing, get up here, read a passage, let God's word speak for itself and sit down, All right, It would have saved me a lot of time and stress over the last week. Or maybe to make my life easier, but to still give y'all something to think about, what if I just start writing my sermons with AI, okay? How do you know I haven't, All right? Well, would AI randomly generate a picture of Abel Schaefer to show you? I don't, I don't think so, maybe. So be careful what you put on Facebook. But also, if you feel bad for him, he's on sabbatical. He'll never know unless you tell him. So. But simplicity is not the easy way out. It's not like lack of effort. It actually takes a lot of really intentional effort, especially in a consumer society where it's way easier just to add something else than to take it away. I also think... Simplicity, this concept, is really tied to humility because it's very humbling to set aside things, whether it's materials, but also even our own desires, our own dreams, for the sake of hearing God and where he would have us go and what he would have us do. So where do we actually find simplicity biblically? Well, one of those areas where I think that we see it is in the parable of the sower. So this is Mark chapter 4, if you have it open. I'm not going to read The whole thing, but for those of you who don't know this story or maybe need a refresher, Jesus hops in a boat, and a lot of people gather along the shore. So he's sitting in this boat where they can hear him, and he begins telling the story. It's about a farmer who takes a bunch of seed, and he casts it out, and the seed lands in different places. Some lands on the path, and it gets just snatched up by birds. Some lands uh, amongst rocks, and so there's a little bit of soil, but it can't really take deep root. Some lands in soil, but that there's thorns all around the soil. So when it actually grows, the thorns take all the life from the plant and it can't grow. And then some seed lands in the good soil and actually grows and reproduces. So he tells this story to these people and he doesn't explain it. He just lets it sit and people begin to leave. And we see picked up in verse 10 that he's now alone with his followers, his closest in the 12, and they look at him and they're like, hey, Jesus what are you talking about? Like, we don't understand this. I bet most people don't understand it. So Jesus explains to them, this is gonna be one of the ways that I speak to you because there's gonna be some things that I need you to know that the rest of the world is not ready to hear. And so I'm gonna speak in parables. You've gotta start understanding. Verse 13, do you not understand? How will you understand all of them? They're gonna get a little more complex. So let me do you a favor and I'm gonna explain this one to you, he says. So Jesus begins to explain about the different soils. So the seed is the word of God, he says, and it's going to go out and it's going to land on different hearts of different people. Some people have hardened hearts like a path, and so the seed hits it, the gospel hits it, and they just don't want anything to do with it, so it gets taken away. Others may actually want to experience it, and there's even joy in receiving it, but because there's no depth of relationship, there's no commitment, that as soon as you know, turmoil comes or any type of persecution, they're out because there's no roots And then he'll go on to explain the good soil is the ones who receive it and reproduce. They're making disciples. They're understanding the gospel. But there's this third one, and that's where I think we see our topic for today. He explains the most interesting soil, and it's the thorns. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So he's saying the soil is here. The nutrients are here. Like the, the, the seed is ready to grow, but as soon as it grows up, there's these other things that compete for life and take those nutrients to where there actually can't be healthy growth. What are they? Well, you see them there, the cares of this world. You might describe these as our commitments, the things that we're involved in, our schedules, our time. Things that are going to take our care and our heart. But the deceitfulness of riches, this this constant desire for more and for wealth and to build and build and build. And then just the desire generally for other things. Maybe this is possessions or other commitments or things like that. But these are things that are going to choke out our heart, which may even be in the right place, that we want to follow God. We come in here, we receive these things, we want them to be implemented, but things don't take root. This is insanely practical of Jesus to say that your spiritual formation, our spiritual formation, is directly correlated with our physical lives and our decisions, the things around us, right? Which makes me uh, remind myself that most of you probably aren't coming in here during this series and listening to the different rhythms and saying, I don't like that. I don't think we should pray. I don't think we should do this. I don't think we should do this. Most people are probably hearing them going, Yes. I believe prayer is good. I believe time in God's word and solitude and all of those things are good. But for some reason, it's not translating into everyday life. Why? Well, think about it like a greenhouse. Our time here on Sunday mornings might be a lot like a greenhouse. You come in here. Things are kind of put on a platter, right? Someone does the work of saying, here's kind of what this text means. And we water it a little bit. We prune it a little bit. You get really excited, And then we go to take this seed and to grow it in our everyday lives, and this is what we're stepping into. It's like, how is a healthy seed going to find any nutrients in an environment like that when we try to plant something but don't change any aspect of our lives? The reason I want you to see this visual, because I think for most of us, myself included, simplicity might be the gateway into experiencing the rest of the discipline. That thinking through Mark chapter four and analyzing where the cares of the world, the desires for riches, all these things that are coming in and choking out my ability to grow, if I can deal with some of those, then maybe I can actually take these things and see them grow and see them rooted. A couple of months ago, I was at work and my wife, Alex, texted me a really short text and it just said, did you make your side of the bed this morning? And I could read into it. She was shocked, which says a lot more about me than her, and I was like, yes, yes, I did, actually, and she's like, why? You never do that, and the reason why is because the night before, we had spent quite a bit of time making our room spotless, okay? I mean spotless. We clean our room a lot, but still, usually when I wake up, there's dirty clothes or Legos or backpacks. We have three kids, whatever. There's just stuff, and so when I wake up, I look at my bed. I'm like, what's the point? Why would I make my bed? Look at the state of our room. But when I woke up this morning, it was the only thing unkept. And so it felt more wrong not to make it. It's the only time I've made it all year, but we're all a work in progress, okay? But that morning, I realized something that I've probably known before, but I forget, and it's that chaos breeds chaos. But simplicity and order can breed more order. And I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, A true life of simplicity has to have a center, something that breeds other things around it, something that we hold so dear that it affects everything about us. And uh, Jesus in Matthew 6 would describe that this way. As he's talking about the different cares of the world and the different things that you're going to need to survive and live, he says, yes, God knows those things are needs and he's going to take care of you. Here's what he wants from you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the rest will be added. But that is our center. That is the focal point of simplicity of how can we structure our lives, not where we just get rid of everything because that's not practical, but get rid of enough that we have a clear vision of who Jesus is and what he's asking of us every single day so that we can seek first his kingdom and that we can experience the love and the hope and the fulfillment that he has laid out for us, not getting lost in the things around us. We lie to ourselves when we say this is true of our heart but it's not actually reflective of our lives. So a couple of encouragements. If if our lives are too complex to make make disciples, something's off. If our, our lives are too chaotic and busy to experience Christ's peace in the midst of chaos, something's off. And if our lives are so fast that we can't slow down enough just to see where might God be moving in my workplace, in my family, or even in my own heart, something's off. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters, um, I would encourage it. It's a very interesting read. It's by C.S. Lewis, um, and I've got to frame it up a little bit because it's, it's kind of weird. But it's a fiction uh, book, and it's from the perspective of this demon called Screwtape, and he writes letters. That's why it's called The Screwtape Letters. And this demon is writing to his, basically, apprentice, his nephew, Wormwood, and uh, Wormwood has been assigned a patient, a human. And Wormwood's goal is to try to lead this human to destruction. And so C.S. Lewis is trying to give us some insight into what might spiritual warfare look like. What are demons thinking about as they want to lead us away from the gospel, okay? And I was sitting with uh, Sam Coleman, uh, a buddy of mine at Fellowship, a couple weeks ago for lunch, and he brought this up. I was like, dude, this fits perfectly. In letter two, um, Screwtape writes to Wormwood, And he begins with this by saying, it's with great displeasure that I have to tell you that your patient, Wormwood, has become a Christian. He's disappointed in it. Then he says, but do not despair. And I can almost see a, a smirk on his face when he writes this. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Yeah, he made a decision, but I think we still got him. I don't think he's going to be able to ditch all of the life that he has built up. There's a lot of complexities, a lot of things that still line up to look very similar to that of the world. And if we can keep him trapped in that, then we've still got him. When I read this, my heart sinks because I'm like, my fear is that there are things that I'm so tied to that I can't even see out of it and I don't realize. Like how much of my life is still devoted just to try to build my own kingdom and fulfill my own pleasures? And what would, what would demons be saying about me as they watch? Are there any habits and rhythms that are so deeply ingrained that I don't even know that they're there? You know, certain biblical topics hit with different weights in different societies and step on toes in different ways. I was pretty pumped about teaching on simplicity until I realized I'm teaching on simplicity in Bentonville, right? Right? Uh, We are not the most simple society, especially from this definition. Yes, there are simple and really good things about us. Uh, There's a lot of art. There's a lot of kindness. There's a lot to enjoy. And in fact, some of you may be in this camp, but we have people who move here for a more simple life to our city and to our community. But when you think about Mark chapter 4 and those three things that are going to come in and choke out growth as a believer... the the cares of this world, right, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches, it's everywhere, all around us. And I get that talking about wealth, um, no matter how little or how much you have, uh, is a really uncomfortable topic or can be, but Jesus talked about economics probably more than any other social issue of the day. And so we're going to discuss those types of things. And he actually said that you're going to see the love for money and riches rival um, this desire for me as God, it will be something that people almost want to worship and put their whole lives around. We see that in the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. I'm not going to put it up. It's actually the discussion guide. Uh, if you're going through the rhythms book or discussing with community or family or roommates, that's the passage you'll discuss this week. Um, but you basically got this young guy who comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, I want eternal life. What do I have to do? Right? Great question to ask Jesus. What do I, how can I earn it? So Jesus is like, all right, you want to earn it? You got to do this. 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 You got to be perfect. And he's a young guy, so he has the guts to say, done, right? I already took care of all that. What else you got for me? So Jesus, knowing the heart of man, looks at him. He's like, all right, how about you sell everything you own and give all your money to the poor? And the young guy is basically like, well, hell it is because I ain't doing that. Money's not the issue there. It's the heart tied to it so tightly that the thought of even having less would cause you to say, I don't even want to experience eternity with Christ. Let's be honest about a few things in our community. Uh, Number one, we're all wealthy, okay, compared to the rest of the world. I know we say that, but it's a good reminder. Every single one of us, no matter how much or little you have, is wealthy. And at the same time, there is a spectrum not only in our church, but throughout our community. And so some of you may feel like, yeah, but I don't feel wealthy in Bentonville. But no matter where we're at on that, there are simplicity difficulties for all of us, no matter where we fall, because that consumer mindset is deep within each of us. In some ways, you can buy a simpler life with enough money, but even with that, it's going to complicate things way more, especially at the heart level. Hear heard the saying, mo' money, mo' problems? Yeah? That's not just 90s rap, okay? Uh, It's actually biblical. I love when people pull from Scripture and they don't even know it. Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and all the trouble that comes with it. There's something about affluency that hinders our ability to see and fully trust in Jesus. To provide. It's not that it can't be done. It absolutely can. And many of you do it so well. But sometimes you have to fight even harder against it. We're going to talk very practically for the rest of our time, so much so that it might even feel like we're at a minimalist conference. But stick with me, please. Don't check out, all right? You see this uh, second definition uses the word clutter and eliminating clutter. And I started thinking, okay, let's talk physical clutter and the things in our lives. Are there any actual benefits of decluttering, right, getting rid of stuff? And guess what? There's been a lot of research done on that, and there are. Let me give you four. And I'm really thinking through physical decluttering, but this could be said the same about our time, our commitments, our heart, all of it. But let's just talk physically. Studies have found a direct correlation between clutter and cortisol, which is our primary stress hormone, meaning the more cluttered an environment the more physically stressed you may become okay uh, there's also correlation with clutter and poor food choices and increased sleep disorders like it affects our bodies which reminds me that chaos breeds chaos and order can breed order but it's not just physical there's also mental health benefits to it clearing visual clutter increases your brain's productivity studies have shown you're more mentally alert. You can engage in conversations more. You can understand things better and process clearly. We all know this. If you've ever stepped into a clean apartment, a home, a car, like you just kind of take a deep breath and smile. It does something to your body, and it does the opposite when you step into clutter. But it's not just uh, those two things. It also affects our finances. You ever heard the quote that the more things you buy, the less money you have? Not a quote, it's just simple math, right? <laughs> but seriously, you probably have heard th- this is an actual quote. Uh, we tend to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. And we just build and accumulate. It's estimated that over half of US homes have $1,000 or more of unused items in our homes with no plans to get rid of them, just to let them sit in a closet or in an attic or something like that. More stuff? Equals less money, It's just practical. And then time, less stuff equals less cleaning and organizing. It's therefore more disposable time. Another study showed that Americans on average spend up to 20 minutes a day looking for things that they've lost in their home, right? Let the, let the elbows go. Let's put that into perspective. That's five whole days of your life every year. So if you live to be 73 years old, that is one whole year of your life looking for your car keys, amongst other things that are just sitting around. So there's benefits. And as I was prepping, we spend a lot of time prepping for these, right? This is not just something we come up with off the fly. And we're always inviting the spirit, like, I see this passage, this is what I think, but where would you have me go? And I felt like the spirit of the Lord was saying, hey, I want you to go here this week. We are talking about being unmaterialistic, yet we live in a community that is dependent on people purchasing things, right? Can we just acknowledge that? It's not only the livelihood of many of you as individuals, but our community as a whole thrives off of that. Buying and selling things is not a bad thing unless there's an intentional intent for harm just for the sake of profit, which I don't believe is, is true. Many of the things we buy and sell are actually necessities for life. And so individuals have to deal with this materialism problem individually. It doesn't matter how hard, if you find yourself in this industry, how hard you work to be ethical in your decisions and the way that you present things, many consumers, because we're human, will take things to an unhealthy extent and make good things idols and become attached. The weight of that is not on you. What is on you and what is on me or our decisions as individuals, ourselves, and as consumers, what are we consuming? What is my heart attached to? What am I purchasing or perpetuating by the decisions that I'm making? And how should my life look different from those around me? So you're probably looking at this, going, "Hey, this is great. Sounds good for my life, but what does this have to do with following Jesus? Great question. I think it's fascinating when scientists, you know, spend lots of money and years, excuse me, coming up with studies to really just affirm what Scripture's already told us. These things are really good. These studies have showed that decluttering helps with them, but when we can get these things in order, it flings the door open for God to do the work that he's called us to do in our lives. And so, check this out. What's the value of having physical health? Well, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our physical bodies matter. These are gifts that God has given us. And so why wouldn't we want to take care of them as much as we are able? And I get some physical things are out of our control. But the decisions that we have, why wouldn't we want to do that? Because God can use our bodies, can use our lives as a form of worship in the ways that he wants to use us. But also keep reading in that next verse, Romans 12 2, mental health plays a role in our ability to walk with Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? Why is a renewed mind, a clear mind important? By testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That we want to have clear minds to be able to understand where is the spirit leading me today? Did I miss an opportunity to engage in some, with someone because my mind is just so cluttered with all the thorns and the junk around me? Clear mind matters, but also there's spiritual benefits when it comes to our finances. The prosperity gospel would say, follow Jesus so you can get more money and receive blessing. The true gospel does not say that. It says, whatever blessing you receive, guess what that's to be used for? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way that these are not our things. And when we have clear minds, we're able to see that. And so as we, in this world, as we develop or accumulate money or things like that, the, wealth is a platform for us to be generous and meet the needs of those around us. I've seen it so much. One of the, the roles or things I love about my role as a community pastor is I get to connect people. People have a need, and I'm like, I know who can help with that. And over the last year, I've seen hundreds of examples of that, but just a couple. I've seen a family step in and help provide housing for our ministry residents to live in Bentonville. So they're not living in Rogers and driving up, but they can do ministry amongst us. I've seen many of you just open your homes for community groups to meet that you're not even a part of. You're like, hey, I heard there was a need. They can use our home. We'll get out of here. Or they can have our space. Uh, We've had a couple of single moms and single dads come forward and say, hey, just need some help with these things. And we've sent out texts or emails, and the, the donations have just come flooding in from very big things to very small things that are just as meaningful, just to meet the needs of people around us. When our finances are in order, right, we're able to see more clearly, God, what would you have me do with the blessings that you've provided? And as much as, you know, simplicity is related to finances and materialism, Jesus also shows us that it's a way of life, and your time is really, really important. We're reminded in James 4, 13 through 14, that Our lives are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's so easy to forget that. And we may have longer lives than others in the room, but in the grand scheme of the story of God, our lives are such a short mist. Why wouldn't we want to take every opportunity that we could to capitalize on hearing, seeing, and following Jesus? One of the most beautiful things about a life of simplicity is it sets you up to have the freedom to say yes to God whenever he moves. And I'm not saying don't go work, right? That's not practical. We are going, I work a job, you are going to work a job. But in that, are we able to clear out some of the clutter so that we can actually see where he's moving around us, so that we can stop or slow down? I want to share some outward practices uh, as we get ready to close. And most of these come from uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It's one of the books we recommended uh, throughout this series. But these are just some things that might be A gateway for you into simplicity. And remember, simplicity of heart is the goal, a life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. But simplicity of schedule, simplicity of materials are actually great friends in that process. So number one, buy for usefulness, not status. It's a good reminder that we don't have to have the nicest things. We can. If you have the nicest thing of something, don't don't feel guilt and shame. But in every aspect of our lives, do we always have to go above and beyond to have the nicest stuff? There's something incredible about someone who drives a beat-up vehicle when we know they don't have to, right? We have museums built around that in Bentonville. Y'all realize that, right? There's something unique and special about that ability to say no when you could say yes. So it's a great filter as we're thinking about purchases even as a believer. Number two, reject anything that that might produce an addiction in you. That may mean saying no to something that you're thinking about purchasing or saying yes to, right, even in relation to schedule. It may be getting rid of something that you already have. One thing to think through would be, for all of us, some form of media. I guarantee you, like, we have so many streaming services, social media platforms, all of these things that... Maybe just take a little bit of our time, but when you sum it up, think about how much is going into that, how much our heart is attached, and how much we may be addicted in that pattern without realizing. So can you say no to one of those things, or two of those things, or 10 of those things? Any of the things producing an addiction in you that are owning you more than you're owning them? Uh, Also, reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. Oppression of any type is sinful. That's why, as a country, we will stop and celebrate tomorrow some of the progress that we've made against oppression. We have to think, as individuals, what are some of the decisions that I might be making that might be oppressing others? So that goes into, like, sustainable purchasing and all of these things that we probably rarely think about. But even in our own lives and scheduling or in our jobs, do I do something that, you know, simplifies my life, but all I do is put that oppression on someone else? just to make my life a little bit easier. That's not the life of simplicity that God has called us to. Uh, Develop a habit of giving things away. Not just all the junk you've accumulated. That is good, but this isn't just like fellowship garage sale week. Um, It could be, right? That, That could be part of it. But what about the things you actually like and enjoy? But maybe producing an addiction in you. Or maybe they're just really good things, but you don't need them in the way that someone else would. What about giving that to someone? Developing a pattern of giving things away, uh, and with that, enjoying things without having to own them. What would it look like if our community groups were the first stop for when we had a need? We just said, "Hey, do y'all have this that I could borrow?" Rather than rather than just going online and purchasing something, or going to the store and purchasing something. What would it look like to be a community that shared, so that we can be more influential with the gifts that God has given us? One of the ways that my family has found joy in this one is through my truck. I have a truck. I like to think that I get the most use out of it I can, but let's be honest, I'm never going to have it as fully useful as I could. So we've told all our friends, now I'm telling you, if you need a truck to borrow, come let me know. I'll let you borrow my truck. Uh, Mike Owens? Mike Owens here? Probably not. Mike, no, he could be here. I didn't mean to say that, like he doesn't come to church, but uh, Mike's one of my buddies. He borrows my truck a lot, and I love getting to let him do that to do yard work and that kind of stuff. He told me two weeks ago that like, hey man, whenever you're ready, I've got a Honda Accord that's ready for you to use too. And so, (laughs) hadn't traded yet, but maybe one day. But yeah, uh, just sharing things, enjoying things without having to own them. We love to own things. What would it look like to say, I don't have to. And then the last one, scheduling margin in your daily life. We can talk a lot about materials. In reality, we're prone to just refill it with materials. So what about this greater one of, how can I be a person of margin? Even practically, think about your work day. Could you put a 30-minute block at the end of your work day or an hour if you have it where you're not stepping away from work, but you know I'm going to try to have everything finished by then so that I've got this margin built in. So when I'm going through life and work and someone needs to talk, I have 10 minutes to spare to hear them and to be a friend. And I don't have to worry about, I got to get this stuff done. And it's just going to spread me out and allow me to slow down a little bit. We need to be a people of margin just in general because it's margin that creates space for us to actually hear and see God more clearly. But remember, for this to be a spiritual rhythm, we have to remember that the whole purpose of this is to fix our eyes on Jesus, It's what we see in Hebrews, to consider him, to fix our eyes on him, to follow him. Because without it, this is just another form of legalism. There's a story I read recently, we'll close with this, about A man who actually chose to be homeless. He was in an affluent society. This was not Northwest Arkansas, but um, unlike people around him, he wasn't chasing the next big thing. He probably implemented a lot of these things. He wasn't concerned about his status, and his way of life actually caught the eye of a lot of people in the community because it was very different than the way that they were living. So over time, that became a bit insulting. They began challenging him and asking him questions, very complex questions, and Rather than answering back with this complex answer, he would often just give a simple question. And over time, like, this got people very, very frustrated with him to the point where eventually a group of them got together and they killed him. And they stripped him of the few possessions that he actually owned, his clothes. He didn't have the money to purchase a tomb, so he went into a borrowed tomb, and y'all can see where this is going because he then rose three days later to prove that he was the true son of God. And what I love about Jesus' life isn't just that, yeah, he probably did some of this, right? He probably wasn't addicted to materials. No, the simplicity of Jesus' life is so beautiful, beautiful because think about the simple way he chose to enter this world. Think about the simple life that he lived as a carpenter, the way that he cared for people and engaged with others. And then in a way... The simple, life, the simple death that he died, alone from others. And he did that to create a space for us to even experience the fruit of spiritual formation in a life with God. Yet so often, these are the things we have to fight against. And when that grand story is in perspective, it makes these other things a lot less important. But we're humans, so we're still going to have to fight against it and choose to live a life of simplicity so that we can be reminded of who Jesus is. I want to take a couple minutes before we sing a final chorus and actually go a little bit ahead in your practice this week. Um, If you've had the books, great. If you don't, you're welcome to purchase one or download one for free online or just write these two questions down. But these are two of the practices that we as a church are doing this week. It's practices four and five. And I wanna just give some time and some space for you to ask the Lord to go ahead and stir in these ways, right? What's a way that I could downsize an area of excess to maximize joy in God or to display Jesus through a generous act? How is God leading me into simplicity? And before you go like, this is so like weird and minimalistic and legalistic, remember the reason we do these things is because of the great example of Jesus. And there's no greater downsizing than from omnipresent to a crying infant, right? From heaven to earth. There's no greater display of a generous act than what he did on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. So take a minute to reflect and consider these things.
3: morning and let's make this simple song our prayer we sing
7: you're the way the truth and
5: We depend on the Lord and we do so in community with each other as we walk together. So like we do each week, we want to invite you into what's going on here. And for some of you that may be prayer, we want to pray with you and alongside you. If you would like to enter into that, we've got some of our prayer team up here that would love to pray with you. If you're not connected, if you don't have people to process these things with and do life, if you came alone, come talk to us. We want to be a people and a body that is connected and walking with Jesus together. You can do that here, up front with one of us, or also out at the booth. And then, as a reminder, the Stottles, some of our global workers, will be uh, at the booth as well. Go meet them, invite them to lunch, to dinner, to your group. You will not be disappointed to hear what God is doing in and through them. The complexities are waiting on you at the door, okay? Probably in your hearts right now. Let's remember to do work this week with the Lord, to simplify, to fix our eyes on him as we walk in this world, to be a light for him, but to experience life with him. We love you, fellowship. We'll see you this week.